Heart on the Mic is an audio journal podcast where I share about my experiences, ambitions, motherhood, and everything in between. Through this podcast, I hope to bring insight, encourage, and empower you as you are on the pursuit of your very own heart's desires. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in this week to this episode of Heart on the Mic. I have a very special guest and her name is Anita. We already talked about her last name. I'm going to butcher it. It's Monroy, but you have to roll the R. I can't do that. So sorry about that, Anita. This week I brought her on so that way she can talk about what she does best. And that is being a CPA. She is so knowledgeable. She does other things as well. But I met her at a event recently, which is called Las Founders. And she just was like a firework. You wanted to meet her and talk to her if you heard her speak. So I'm excited to have her on this week. Can you share a little bit about your background and overview? I know we talked about your family and that is one of your big whys and your reason why you're doing what you're doing today and even trying to step into other things. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for having me on your show. This is my second time being a guest on a podcast, so I'm really excited to be here. I am a Salvadoran-American, first generation born here in the U.S. My parents came from El Salvador illegally um, in the 70s and became naturalized because I was born here. So they were fortunate enough to, my mom actually was pregnant of me when she crossed the border um, from El, El Salvador through Mexico into San Diego so yeah so it's interesting like that's where my my story where I feel like I'm I've I was destined to be a strong Latina because my mom really what is it like she she risked her life to be able to provide me with a better life and so um yeah so we uh settled here in the San Fernando Valley so I have was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley, um, specifically Sun Valley. And I went to school here. I went to CSUN. I'm a a matador, both for uh, counting uh, undergrad. And also I have a master's in tax. So I love to talk about accounting and tax. I have about 24 years um, experience, uh, about like 24 years experience working as a tax professional. But my experience actually goes way back to when I was 11 years old. My father started out as a busboy in in a in a restaurant uh, in North Hollywood, and then um, actually did a side hustle of like doing auto repair shops. So he he would work at nights um, as a busboy at the restaurant, and then during the day he started learning how to repair cars and also like how to run his own business because his goal was to basically open an auto repair shop more as like the business owner and the person that was making, you know, like doing the deals instead of like him actually being a mechanic. So that's a little bit of my background. I mean, I can really go into further detail, but that's my first experience of being in a small business because I helped my dad on, you know, obviously in the evenings and on the weekends. And so I would have to say that my accounting career officially started when I was 11. That's what I was going to ask you, like how you went back to that, because I'm like, wait, where did this start? Did you just say out of high school, like, I want to be an accountant or did you have have an interest as a young girl? So you seen him manage his business and stuff. Is that where, where it sparked or? So and it's interesting because I, it didn't, I, at the time, right. Because my parents don't have, um, they didn't have formal education. So my parents know how to read and write, uh, but they didn't like go to school or, you know, like it just like they, they just never went to school. So 
I was the first one to like know English, right? Because I was going to school. And so I was in elementary school. He basically was like, okay, Anita. He would be like, I need for you. He would give me a stack of like these receipts that were yellow and, you know, in which now I can talk about about. their like duplicate receipts, right? I had no idea. He would be like, okay, on Saturdays, that was my task. Like, he's like, here's a group of like a stack of receipts, like yellow. And here's the white statement. Well, now I know it's a statement, but it was a white piece of paper. And he would say, please, you know, make sure that they tr- like the supply, which was basically the auto sh- auto supply store, right? Because they would come and deliver um, parts throughout the week, and then they would provide him a statement because he had a, a, a charge account, and so mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure that we were being charged like the right amount for the deliveries, the deliveries, and the auto supplies. And then also wanted to make sure that he wasn't paying sales tax because he was reselling the, obviously the um, auto parts. And then, um, and then also at the end, you know, also cross-reference it with what Las Facturas, like he would always be like, please, you know, fill out the invoices. And we would, you know, I remember going to like local stationery stores and getting these like facturas, which were these invoices that had duplicate copies as well. And so that's where my accounting experience started. I went to high school to a medical magnet because I I had this dream of becoming a doctor and and because I went to I actually went to Francisco Brown Medical Magnet in Los Angeles even though I was in the valley I basically was bust in there and so not until I went to CSUN and I started working I was pre-PT physical therapy and like pre-med and I started working with a physical therapist and he's the one who actually identified my skill set. Like, so I would go, I was a massage therapist, like basically I was a physical therapy aide. And then in between clients, like I would put the clients on like heat packs because we were doing therapy for like personal injury. I would basically start doing the reconciliation on his like account. And he was like, okay, he's like, you should probably look into being an accountant and not a physical therapist. So I actually was a senior at CSUN with in physical therapy when I switched to accounting because I had no idea because it just came natural to me. That's so amazing too, because someone pointed that out in you and said, imagine if you ended up taking that other route, like where would you be today? And well, I'm so grateful for that physical therapist (laughs) in Granada Hills because, you know, like, and that's the thing I think, and that's why I want to like come into the community because I didn't have any role models. There was only like, you know, three, like two professions that I knew about, like, either being a medical doctor or a lawyer, right? Like yeah. everybody thinks every like- Every Hispanic yeah, parent. <laughs> every single Hispanic parent is like, I abogado o doctora. And also because growing up, you know, like I, I didn't, I come from humble upbringing. So to me it was like, oh, doctors make a lot of money. You know, lawyers make a lot of money. Never did I think, you know, I didn't even know what an accountant did. I mean, I went to CSUN and had no idea when he was like, you should do accounting. I'm like, well, what is that? Like, I wasn't even in the business school. I was in yeah. the kinesiology school at, at CSUN. So to me, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So yes, I'm very grateful uh, to him for like pointing it out and 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 being able to identify an abil- a natural ability of mine that I didn't even I wasn't even aware of. Yeah, and nobody was feeding that into you, so it was like a a mentor without you even knowing it. And at least you kind of ran with that thought instead of ignoring it. Like you agree, like oh, this is a natural interest of mine, and I'm really good at it. Let me entertain that thought. 
entertaining that thought, how did that transition into stepping into your career and doing what you do? So since I was already a senior at, at CSUN, I ended up starting, well, I took an accounting 101 class and that's where I was like, I, that's where I really understood. Like, I was like, oh my God, I really love this. Like it really came natural to me and I switched to accounting. And so I got a bachelor's uh, of science from CSUN in accountancy. And again, you know, like, it's just so interesting how like when you make yourself open, just things started happening, right? And so I ended up actually getting an internship at Ernst & Young because again, like my mindset was like, okay, well, you know, since I have experience with small businesses, I, I felt like my heart was that I was going to end up becoming an accountant and and go to like a small firm or even like be an, an accountant or like bookkeeper within a smaller company. But I actually got an opportunity in because I always knew early on that I wanted to be a tax accountant. I think it was more because when I started working, which I started working at 15 and a half in McDonald's, that was my first job. I, at the age of 16 was when I filed my first tax return and no one has ever prepared a tax return for me. I actually filed my tax filed return myself, own? my own tax return at age 16. I just looked it up and said, okay, let me fill it out. I'll, no I'll do it myself. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Kind of like it, it reminds me of Warren Buffett because Warren Buffett started filing his, like his tax return because he was a, on a paper route. And he deducted his bicycle. That's one of my uh, side um, projects to uh, go back and really find where it came from, because I really think that it's something that it must have been passed on by generations because my parents, again, like none of my family is an accountant. Nobody I nobody I knew, you know, ever like. Yeah, it was just not something that was in my family or the generations that I'm familiar with. You so you weren't exposed to it in no. every day. It just came naturally to you. That's so crazy. And and how did that how, obviously it helped you when you transitioned into corporate America because you landed an internship at a bigger company, is what you were saying? Yeah. So my I landed an internship with Ernst Young, which is one of the big four multinational um, accounting firms and most oh, of, wow. like so prestigious, you know, like I still to this day, am so grateful that I had that opportunity because that really changed my life. All, and so I went to work for them as an intern. They liked me so much. I stayed on as a permanent um, tax uh, staff tax uh, professional or specialist. And so I, there I got the opportunity to work with a lot of um a uh, lot of like multinational publicly traded companies. And so that directed me in the path of like learning how to do corporate tax. I, you know, I worked for, I worked for Ernst & Young. Then from there, I went to a regional firm. Then I went to a local firm before I transitioned into industry. And because I live in Los Angeles, then I ended up learning how to, um, well, basically became a, a a member of tax departments for places like, Warner Brothers, Disney, um, Playboy, and up until recently, NBC Universal. So it allowed me, not only did I have the small business bookkeeping experience because I was I had been helping my father in his business, um, I also got to expand my knowledge by working for bigger firms and, and bigger companies like, like I just mentioned. And how did the internship opportunity even came, come up? Was it from someone you went to school with or kind of just something you were ser searching for? 
Well, I wasn't searching for, um, and actually Something the power of, yeah, I, I was, yeah, the power of Latinos. Let me tell you, girl. So I actually went to CSUN. So, you know, when I transitioned, I, I became part of like, I started doing the networking. I was part of like Latino Business uh, Association. I was also part of the Accounting Association. So in the Accounting Association, I had met, you know, I went to school with people. And so they graduated. Some of them went to work for Ernst & Young. So I, it was a career fair. And um, one of the members from Ernst, like one of the staff people from Ernst & Young, I recognized her and I was like, I went over to just say hi to her and she was like she was an auditor so like in accounting there's different um there's i say there's different flavors in accounting because we have like financial auditors we have tax people we have internal control auditors so there's different um professions levels. within the levels within the accounting world that again not all of us know right and i didn't know either but um anyhow she remembered that I had an interest in tax because I had prepared my own tax returns throughout, like, you know, in high school, because I I I worked in high school, like, and I worked through CSUN. And so she um was like, hey, Anita, like, you know, like when I was talking to her, she's like, you know what? The tax recruiter is here. And let me introduce you to him. He well, he was a Latino. And so he obviously, you know, I was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? You know, it was kind of casual because in my mindset, I was like, I'm going to go work for a smaller company that I didn't even dream, dream or aspire. Right. Because I was like, you know, this girl from Sun Valley, like, how am I going to end up, you know, and, and to be honest, I wasn't like a straight A student either. Like I wasn't like top of the class. I mean, I love to talk, as you can tell. So I definitely knew a lot of people, but I didn't. I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not even. That was not what I was aspiring to. And he was like, hey, you know what? We have some tax internships. Go ahead and send me your resume. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And so I was like, right. You know, he must like say this to everybody. So I was like, he gave me his card. And I'm going to say like, at the time, I didn't have the confidence and the um, and the drive, I mean, I was driven, but it just was different, right? Like, because I yeah. didn't see the possibilities. And so I didn't send them the resume, but there was like in two weeks later, there was another career fair that I went to and he was there and he remembered and he said, hey, you have not sent me your resume. What do I have to do for you to send me your resume? And I was like, I felt so like embarrassed and like, oh, me dio tanta pena. And I was like, okay, this time I'm going to do it. And honestly, like it was just so quick. Like I sent him my resume. Next thing I know, I was in like an interview panel for the tax, you know, internship and I got hired. And thank God, you know, like I'm so appreciative of that Latino connection because I think that that's one of the things that was motivating him. Like, hey, you know what? Because there's not that many Latinas yeah. in like CPAs or even in tax, like that's even more narrow of a field that I, I just am glad that he didn't give up because I obviously didn't show up interested. <laughs> and look at you showing up to a job fair, being asked to send your resume and then you don't send your resume. <laughs> right, well, because, you know, I wasn't looking at Ernst & Young, you know, yeah. I was looking at like smaller companies. I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of like, they're like the 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 creme of la creme, you know, like I was like, mm, you know, I was like, OK, you know, like I'm here. I'm going to go to this local firm and try to get hired there. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, thank God for like persistence because he persisted <laughs> and he got me in. And that just goes to show like 
the power of limiting beliefs or not having confidence in in what we can do because it it could have took you in a different direction if you just ignored him the second time too so that just reminds me too to just be fearless no matter what well i think yeah and i mean if you think about it back then you know because it was like ooh, like 20 plus years ago yeah so it was a different environment yeah it was a different environment you know there was even less Latinos um you know going to college and and you know even being successful with college because just like I mean most of my peers we all were working I was working full-time to go to college to be able to pay my way I didn't I didn't have you know um financial aid or like i i didn't get a free ride like i really then that's why i went to csun because i knew i could afford it if i worked full time and so that's what i did so i think that the opportunities i just we didn't you know i just didn't think that 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 was something that That i could reach Mm -hmm, that it was in my scope yeah and through the years you've learned and you're learning and you're passionate about educating latinos and you clearly see that financial um, literacy gap because you are in, that is your world. Like what, what does that look like? Or what is your, your input regarding that, that gap there in the, in the financial literacy? So here's the shocker. I am a professionally trained accountant, right? So I have a bachelor's degree in accounting. I have a master's degree in tax, and I'm also an enrolled agent. Yet, because I don't like my family didn't grow up with financial literacy, not even like I mean, not even in the, in our Spanish language, did they know financial literacy? This is the extent of like financials they knew. I need to put food on my table and keep the roof, the shelter underneath my head, like yeah, um, over my head, I should say. And so that was the extent like my parents lived day by day. Yeah. And so that's what I learned. Although I, you know, I, I, I learned how to manage big business, big corporations. Like I, I, you know, but for my own personal finance, nobody taught me how to become rich. Nobody taught me, like, even though I went to school as an accountant, you would think that I would know. So like people come to me and it's like, and so I had to do learn that myself because I think that financial literacy is not something and especially in the latino community we don't talk about money like it's not like my parents never i didn't really learn my parents financial situation until um my father had a stroke and so that's when i realized oh my god like you know because i we never really talked about it i just knew that my dad he hustled he was like you know like he was just a hustler and he made it happen you know and that was all i knew i didn't understand anything else about their finances. So for me, I'm very passionate about financial literacy because even as an accounting professional, I feel like I want to be able to uh, and educate and, and really help my client and like in, in the community, especially in the Latino community, digest this information because the information's out there. It's just, it's so much, it's hard to apply it to yourself. Like that's, that's the thing. Like as an accountant, it took me some time and some real effort to understand how to create wealth and how to get out of like paycheck to paycheck, because I I, I didn't have that skill set. Even after going to CSUN, it's not something that no one ever teaches you how to like balance a checkbook. Yeah. Even as an accountant. <laughs> 
you know, at least personally. (laughs) Yeah. And being in that world and exposed to it, all of the accounting stuff, you still had this mentality of this isn't for me. Like, how would you say someone can work through that? Who's like, I'm helping these people and other people can get to a healthy place. But for me, I still have to live paycheck to paycheck because these are my needs. And this is what my situation is. How, how does someone come out of that? Well, I think part, like a huge part of it is mindset. Mm-hmm. I think that our mindset, we at least, well, I should say myself, I had to work a lot on my mindset because I came from a poverty scarcity point of view, right? Mm-hmm. So my parents came from El Salvador. I mean, they're from like some places like rural place, you know, on the Charcos, on the, there's no running water where there's like, I mean, now there is, but at the time there was no running water. Electricity only came during a certain period of time. So, so it's hard, you know, to like, and I, and I appreciate my parents, you know, they, they grew up that way. So it's really hard to come to the U S right. Like, and make that American dream, your reality, and then shift like it, my parents, you know, they, they live a very different existence today um, here in the U S because they are the, like a successful American dream. Like they made that a, a reality, but they still operate from in, a, that way. in that way, from scarcity and poverty. They do not understand the wealth that they created. Like they can't even enjoy it. And I think that's wow. the saddest part because my parents have a lot of health issues and instead of them like feeling empowered and saying, damn, somos chingones. Like we, like we were able to like produce, make sure that our four kids, you know, became something of themselves. And yes, now, you know, they've paid a price with their health that they would be able to enjoy. Like my dad doesn't, now he spends most of his time in his maca, you know, outside in the yard, but he is not very happy because his mindset is still like, it's almost like he, he never left wow. El Salvador, you know, like he was able to create all these things, but it's that I think, and that's part of also like what is driving me. Like I, I feel so saddened that my parents can enjoy their retirement, although they kicked ass and now they are, can now they live off of their rental properties. And, and so they don't work, you know, they're retired. And, and I think that there's so many blessings in their life, but they can't even appreciate the blessings because their mindset never shifted. Do you feel like it's, it can be a fear that's in place because they don't fully understand the scheme of things that they set. So they feel like it can like instantly be taken away from them or something in a sense. Yes. So I, that's actually a good point because my parents, you know, they, it's not by accident, but it is by accident. Right. So like I'm saying, my parents don't have this financial education, this financial literacy, you know, they barely can read and write. Um, um, They get by. And the thing is that it's not by accident because they worked really hard, right. They worked seven days a week, you know, like they, my dad invested in, in assets and without him knowing, he basically made some choices in the early 1980s that that set the tone for now. Like when now that he's retired, he's been retired 20 years. And so, of course, their mindset, they think it was by accident, right? But it wasn't by accident. It was because they made some tough financial choices just because I think it was more like circumstantial 
like what like what was happening day to day and so yeah exactly i think that they probably have a fear of like losing it and my dad when he had the stroke he didn't he wasn't planning for retirement he didn't realize like oh okay well now i'm going to be able to like rent my commercial property and i'm going to be able to live for many many decades off of my commercial property it wasn't like a conscious choice so that's why i also wow. think like if my parents consciously had this knowledge like i wish i would have known what i know today yeah, 20 years ago, you know, and it's kind of like if my parents had the knowledge that I have today, my father was would have been a multimillionaire as Latinos. This is why I, it was so important to me to be a guest on your show, because I feel like this is a conversation that we get to have and like have over and over and over and over again, because it makes it more of a reality, because then it becomes tangible when we start hearing Latinos that intentionally have bought assets and created wealth. And, and that's the other thing I feel like in our community, we don't really talk about like, hey, you know, like I like I own these many properties and I don't know, it just seems like, I don't, I'm not sure why we don't talk about it. Like part of me thinks that it might be like fear or envidia or like something, but there's a reason why we're not all sharing. You're right. It does come back to the mindset because sometimes even for me, sometimes I'll be having conversations or I do share about stuff on the podcast. And then once I'm done recording, I'm like, oh, well, that didn't sound like I appreciate my mom and dad's efforts or it makes them look bad in this way. And it's just like, no, it's being transparent, honest about where I come from and where my mindsets come from. It's because this, and it's not that our parents did bad. It's just that they came from something different. My mom has a huge scarcity mindset and I didn't realize that I had it until I had, I was pregnant and I was having these sort of thoughts and ideas. And I was just like, oh my goodness, like this is going to trickle down to my daughter. If I don't nip it in the butt now, I don't want her to have these sort of fears that I do. It's not okay. Yes. And that's what I'm saying. I had a, a scarcity mindset and a poverty mindset because I do think it's generational. And that's why for me, you know, the reason why I'm so passionate and, and now I'm willing to like share it with everyone is because, and especially the Latino community is because I feel like this is the legacy that I'm going to leave. Like I want to be able to pass it on, although I don't have children and I can't pass it on to my children, Everyone that comes into contact with me is going to get this information. And I I hope that it will be passed on generation to generation to generation and even beyond, you know, my own life. And 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 all and I want to be able to like create a movement of where people feel like our, our community feels comfortable asking these questions and not feeling fear or shame, like, oh, I should have known this. That's what I'm saying. Look, I'm a CPA. I didn't know it. Like, I, it took some real effort, a lot of like reading and education and talking to different um, people that were already in this space. Most of them are non-Hispanic and, but they were open to like, hey, let me tell you about how I bought multifamilies or properties or how I created assets. And so I appreciate them sharing with me. And that's why I want to come and share with the community. And because it's not weird for them to talk about finances together, it's normal. Where well, in the circles, be, yeah. So yeah. in the circles that I'm in, right? Because as a CPA, you know, I was in corporate America for a long time. And so, you know, like, and that's the thing, like, it is normal for kids 
you know, like it's almost like, I don't know about you, but I never had an allowance. My parents never gave me money. You know, like I didn't, I didn't know, like I, you know, they provided food, shelter. That was it. Like, I mean, they bought me pro wings at, you know, Payless shoe source. That was like my extent, <laughs> like I didn't know. And so, um, but in these other communities, I mean, little kids are already like, you know, talking about money. And, and so now like, you know, like how would it be if our kids, you know, our Latino kids would like have that confidence because we talk about it, like, because it becomes normal, right? Like if the adults are not even talking about it, how are the children going to talk about it? They, they, they don't know. They're not going to know that it's okay for us to talk about money and how to make it. Like, that's the other thing, how to be resourceful. How do we make money and how do our dollars make more dollars so that we don't have to be slaves to the paycheck to paycheck? That's just not a conversation, at least where I grew up. Like we didn't ever talk about that. I mean, I still don't talk to my friends about like, I, I think that would make them uncomfortable if I would be like, OK, so how are your stocks doing? But yeah. when you go to like a non-Hispanic environment, that's not there. They don't become apprehensive. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm, now I'm like you know, now I have like Bitcoin and Dogecoin and, you know, I'm doing all these things and they talk about it like it's nothing. Like, like us talking about like the quinceanera that just happened last weekend. That's how, that's, that's how it needs to become like, Hey, you know what? I just went to this awesome cryptocurrency workshop and I learned this. How great would that be? Because there's a fear of like not having the correct knowledge that you don't even talk at all. It's just like, well, I don't want to misspeak. So I'm just not going to say anything. And I've seen that time and time again. And I myself am like, I need to work on that. How am I, how am I going to learn if I don't say I don't know? And that's why I was so grateful to have you, to meet you at the event, because you were just like, you can't answer that. Let me answer all those questions for you right now. Like sharing knowledge is so powerful and empowering. And it just enables other people to to move forward who feel like they're stuck and don't have anybody to turn to or any answer that's going to get them out of where they feel like they're stuck. In my early uh, stages of learning financial literacy, you know, like I, I followed Dave Ramsey, I followed Susie Orman, I followed um, Gail, I can't say the Canadian person, but she used to have this wonderful show on MSNBC that I would watch it, like I would binge watch it. And so that's who I, I learned a lot of, you know, tips and tricks from them. And, you know, it's hard to like, to go up to people that seem like they were born with this knowledge, right? And it is an intimidating experience. And for me, it was intimidating until like I realized that it's okay. Like, it's okay to yeah. say, I don't know. I mean, I showed, I, I, I showed up to a cryptocurrency um, conference, let me tell you, not really knowing what blockchain was. Like, I did not understand what blockchain was. And so I'm here, like, sitting at, a, at the luncheon next to one of the blockchain, like, CEOs. And yeah. I told them straight out, looked them in, in the eye, and I said, yeah, I don't know what blockchain even means. And, and he was like, well, let me explain to you. And he spent the rest of the lunch, like, he didn't, like, look down on me. And that's the thing. Like, I didn't have that confidence before. I would have never even gone to a cryptocurrency conference um, because I would have been like, well, I don't know. You know, like, I'm, a, I'm an accountant. Shouldn't I know? I had no idea. And I was, you know, I felt comfortable saying, hey, you know what? I don't know. And now let me tell you, I do know. <laughs> yeah. I walked out of that conference knowing. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. That's a common theme I've been telling myself recently because how else are you going to learn if you're not saying like, 
I don't know. So speaking of the mentality and just it being limiting and us sticking sometimes to do exactly what our parents have taught us, what would you say would be an actionable step or some advice for someone who sees themselves as as a founder, but doesn't want to stay and run their business in that same mindset or in that same way where it's just so limiting and not allowing them to, to learn about investing or saving. And so I think uh, for a founder, what I would say is just really invest in yourself and educate yourself. Like just listen to podcasts, listen to, you know, like um, there's so many, there's so much information out there. Being intentional and setting like a five to 10 minute a day. Like, yeah, just start with five minutes, five minutes. I'm going to go ahead and read, you know, I know like some of the things that um, people always say like, oh, well, we read this Wall Street Journal and, you know, read, you know, like the Forbes and those are so high level. Like start with a, a simple blog or like a podcast or, or something that where people are like breaking it down in simple terms and you're able to digest. So that's the thing, like by five minute increments, you'll start digesting and becoming familiar okay. with the financial terms. And then um, eventually, I think it's basically building a foundation, you're building bricks, and you will get to a point where you'll be able to have conversations with people and then even ask, like, that's one of the things like I, I think one of one of my clients came to me and said, Oh, my cousin, you know, like they're making this money. And I just don't understand how could they make that money? I was like, Well, did you ask your cousin? Like, what's his hustle? Like, how does he do it? No, she didn't. Yeah. And it's like, just have a conversation, say like, Hey, I was wondering, I'm really interested in your business. Like, how do you like, what do you do? Like, how, how are you successful? And I'm telling you, people are really open to like telling you what they do, like what they're doing, if you ask them and show interest. Especially because they work so hard and spend so much time doing it. It's like, why not share if you're really interested and care about what they're doing? And you mentioned educating yourself for, for the beginner. Do you have any recommendations for books or even blogs that they can start with? So I do actually have a recommendation. Okay. I feel that um, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think that has been my fundamental book that I read. I read it six times Oh wow! because it took me that long to actually digest it, but it, it didn't sink in until maybe the fifth or sixth time that I read it. Wow. And that's how many times I had to read it. So I start with, I start my mentees with that, like, read that book. Let's discuss it. The other thing is I also, I also suggest the second uh, homework that I give them is to watch um, a movie called The Founder, which is Ray Kroc and the McDonald's story. Because again, that shows you the power of real estate. It really opened my eyes to a different world. And that's, and, and that's why McDonald's has created such a, I know that everyone knows them as like the hamburger place, Yeah, but it goes beyond that. So, so yeah, so I would say rich dad, poor dad. And then if you are not uh, inclined to reading, then watch the founder okay, maybe a I few wanna, times. <laughs> I'm going to include both of those in the show notes. And then I was going to ask for podcasts to suggest, but specifically 
let's talk about yours because your podcast is going to do exactly that, right? Yes. So I, because I'm, again, like I said, this is like a passion project for me and I really want to start putting the information in digestible pieces um, and increments. Um, I'm starting Mis Centavos podcast and it's going to drop on September 16, Mexican Independence Day and also Central American Independence Day. So for my Salvadoran peeps. Um, yeah, so we'll be celebrating and our podcast, my podcast will, it will drop then. And this podcast is going to specifically digest for people that are interested in small business, side hustling, sole proprietor, you know, like your, your gig, that's what it's going to create business financial literacy, uh, for a Latino owned businesses. I'm so excited for it. I'm just like going to be a student to everything that you say there. And I, before we close, we had some questions that my listeners submitted and I just selected three since I knew we were going to talk about so much stuff that was going to be full of meat. Uh, someone specifically asked about electronic payments and specifically they said Zal, Venmo and PayPal. What are your, your tips on that? Are they something they should be sticking like staying away from, or is it okay to use? As a CPA, <laughs> yes, all income needs to be reported. <laughs> so um, actually, it, it's an interesting question. And I'm having this conversation with a lot of my uh, clients right now because Venmo and now PayPal, well, they changed the rules now in 2022. Venmo and PayPal, they lowered the threshold. Before it used to be like, if you ran transactions or meaning like you receive money uh, above $20,000, that was the threshold, then they would send you what is called a Form 1099K. Well, now they lowered the threshold. They were like, if you receive payments of over $600, then you're going to get a 1099K. So for the people that were not reporting their income, right? Like if you're just pack, like sending it through Zelle or you're sending it through Venmo or if you're sending it through PayPal, um, now they're going to have to report it because now they're going to get a 1099K, which that just means that they um, are in, in business doing some type of service or providing some kind of service, providing some kind of good. So to the person that asked that, it really depends, right? Because if, I mean, there is, I think every single payment processor, which is like Venmo, PayPal, Stripe, you know, Square, all of these uh, payment processors are going to start reporting to the IRS. So I, I don't see, like, it, it, to me, it's like any one of those is fine for you to use. Just know that you're going to, you're going you to get to report the income because now they, they, they close the loop. I think Zell and I I'll look it up, but I don't think Zell is at that point yet because you're, you're like really doing it from bank to bank, right? Like, yes. Um, and so, yeah. So I think, maybe sell is under the radar right now, now, but that's what I'm saying. Like it's a matter of time for the IRS to change the rules again. And the people who received the payments before and weren't aware and stuff during like the pandemic and stuff, is that something you, that they can come back and yeah. Right. They can come back and like check that or is it no, because the regulation changed. So it's effective to 2022. Okay. So anything prior to 2022, uh, and that's the other thing. It's kind of like when people are like, well, how do I know that I'm going to get audited? 
I, I don't have a magic ball. Yeah. Like I'm not a psychic. Yeah. So I don't want to say no, because I don't know. Like if you're only doing like, you know, a thousand, two thousand, like I had clients that, you know, they're like, well, I kind of got like, you know, like eight thousand dollars. Then maybe not, but I, I can't, I can't it's predict. It's a possibility. It's still. a possibility. I can tell you that it's a possibility. Okay. It, but I, I don't know. It, it all depends on the IRS staff. And right now they're understaffed because of the pandemic. So, but I do know that effective 1-1-2022 and going forward. And like I said, that's a conversation that has been happening with, with my clients right now. I, Because it's like, well, are you telling me that I can't take the payments anymore? No, I'm not no. saying that you can't. I'm just letting you know that you're, you're going to report it and yeah. you're going to do a Schedule C on your 1040 return that you have to report it now. Like before... Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you were like doing like you were just testing the waters and getting some money here and there, then I'm I'm going to say that chances are you didn't file a Schedule C. <laughs> yeah, right. The uh, next question was regarding self-employment. Both uh, husband and wife have 1099s and their goal is to purchase a home. So they need a paper trail. What advice would you have for them? So my advice is that first of all i would ask them do they have separate bank accounts for these 1099 businesses right they have the money coming into one account which is their personal account so they did say that the person who was trying to help them start the home buying process uh raised a flag there and was just like you guys need to form a business so that you have a separate bank uh actual bank account so I'm going to go ahead and do a plug for Miss Centavos here, because this is one of the things that we will be going into depth about. Okay. So I think that, and in, 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 uh, yes, and I this is going to be a topic that we are definitely going to cover is because this is not the first time that I've, I've been asked that question. Like when it comes time for you, if you're self-employed and it comes time for you to buy a house, like how do you do income verification? Yeah. And so I'll tell you right now, I'm going, one of the, one of the, my, my main goals to like stress to the community is that once you start your side hustle, I would, I would create a new bank account, a separate bank account, even if it's your own, like, let's say you want, like you're in Chase and you already do, you have a checking account and a savings account. I would, I would create a brand new um, checking account, even if it's under your personal name yeah. for now, but we can get into details about getting like a fictitious business name, doing business as, and like formalizing your business. But for now, I would want to say like, for this person specifically, I would say I open new bank accounts and the, yeah, they, you said it was two. So the, well, both They're people both are husband and wife. Are both okay, so the women. husband needs to have their own bank account for their business, and then the wife needs to have a bank account for her business and keep them separate, and own and and run all the transactions through those accounts. Because when it comes to like, um, even if, because I know that one of the things that they're probably thinking like, well, should I incorporate? Should I become an S-Corp? Should I become an LLC? Well, it depends on how much money you're making. From a tax perspective, it might not be the best option right now if you're making less than $100,000 
in those each bis respective business. So this is where I would say like, you definitely need to talk to a tax professional. And when I talk about a tax professional would be a CPA or an enrolled agent. I really need to stress that like CPA, which is a certified public accountant or an enrolled agent and ask them, like when you go to the that person and uh, the tax preparer and you're like, you know, I would like to know, are you a CPA or are you an enrolled agent? Because they will understand and will be able to help you do the tax planning necessary for you to to like make that choice when you get to that point. Should I incorporate? Should I become an LLC? Should I become an escort? So, yeah, my advice would be separate bank accounts and start creating the history because that's what it is. It's income verification. And right now it's all commingled. Set up your business to have those transactions and have that history of your businesses respectively so that they can prove to the mortgage company that they are a lower risk because they really are making money and they can afford the house, especially in yeah. this environment we got to know if like the bank is not going to give you a loan unless they know that you are a lower risk uh, creditor. And so and then I'm going to go ahead and like say, tell them to follow me centavos. Yes. So definitely there. <laughs> and just because you hit on it and we talked about it before, finding a CPA and a registered agent, what if that fails like foreign or they don't even know what that means? Well, since we're in California, so like you can go to the Board of Accountancy, like in the state of California, I mean, like state California.gov, and you could actually look up um, certified public accountants. And so they are basically they're licensed uh, professionals that have an extensive background in accounting and tax. And so uh, that's one of the places that they can go. They could also go to, um, for enrolled agents, that is actually a different designation. It's a registration with the Internal Revenue so uh, Service. Basically allows you to represent a, a U.S. taxpayer in all 50 states. They can go to the California Society of Enrolled Agents. Uh, and the, you know what? I, we can put it in the show notes so yeah, that, that they can go ahead and click on it and they can look for individuals that are within their area and that have these designations. And I feel very comfortable um, like referring them to them, because I'll tell you another reason why I was like, I, I really once I decided to become an accountant, I was like, I remember my dad used to use a notario publico like this bookkeeper in Pacoima. And um, yeah, I, questionable uh, tax practices, <laughs> to say the least. And so I know that in our community, that's something like, you know, Idrana's insurance and like they do insurance, they do bookkeeping, they do, yeah. you know, you can get your DMV tags renewed. I mean, it's just, so they're Everything. not really experts or like don't have the experience. And I will say that the price tag is higher for a CPA. Um, there are consultations. I honestly don't think that a lot of our CPAs give free consultations for the same reason because you are going to derive a lot of value from talking yeah. to a CPA even if you talk to them for 15 minutes there's going to be a lot of value exchanged um enrolled agents usually are at a much more economical um price point price point I will say person that asked about like what's the next steps if you're thinking of launching a business so just like how I said um, originally, like I, the first step would be to uh, to open a bank account. 
a separate bank account. I, I strongly advise that you have a separate bank account from your personal for your business. Another thing that I suggest is that you get an EIN, which is called an employer identification mm -hmm. number. And it's for free. Like we'll put that on the show notes as well, yeah. a link. You can click on the IRS um, link and fill out an SS4, form SS4, and get an employer identification number. And I strongly suggest that anyone with a side hustle or, um, you know, like, a, yeah, like anything that you're doing on the side, any type of business endeavor, you get an EIN because right now identity theft is a, such a big, 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 big risk. And so if you get an EIN, you're not going to be providing people your social security number. So what you will be providing is that identification mm -hmm. number. And That's it's the same. It's yeah. like your business social security number. Yeah, it's like your business social security number. And like I said, you don't want your actual social security number out there. And then also for the people that are listening that may be undocumented, there's also an ITIN um, that they can apply for. And so that, again, that those numbers are for the business and they can apply for the ITIN and then get the EIN and then get the bank account. Um, and so once you get that, I, I, I think it would, it's going to make it easier for them to keep track of their income and their expenses if they have the separate bank account. Those are some helpful tips. I know that the listeners will have really good takeaways because I feel like I know basics and I even learned a lot from that. With that being said, before I close, is there anything that I didn't hit that you want to touch on? Yeah. I just want to say like five minutes a day, conquer the fear. Like let's talk about dinero. Let's start that conversation. When we're at like the backyard barbecue, ask your cousin, ask your, your primo, like, hey, like, you know, like if they have a small business, just start talking to them and ask them like what they're doing because it will expand your knowledge and it will be, and you will be surprised that people, at least in my experience, that people are a lot more willing to share what they're up to if you just are fearless and just ask them. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited for everyone to listen in. With that being said, that's a wrap, guys. And until next time. Bye.